0: This is Scott Becker with a combined episode of the Becker's Healthcare Podcast and the Becker Private Equity Podcast. We have today with us someone who's a fascinating leader, uh, the CEO of FastMed Urgent Care, Webb Goinkin. And Webb's going to talk to us about his, his growth of FastMed Urgent Care, how we got into the business, what he's most excited about, and, and a lot more. Uh, you've had a fabulous career as a leader. You've been the CEO of several different companies. Tell us about yourself and about FastMed.
1: Yeah, thanks, Scott. So, pleasure to be, be with you today. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I've been the CEO of five healthcare and health-related companies over the past 35 years. But really, over the past 20 years, have focused on the, the so-called retail medicine space. Um, in 2004, I founded a company called Ready Clinic, which is one of the first companies to put healthcare clinics inside retail outlets. Um, and at various times, we had clinics inside H-E-B grocery stores in Texas, in Walmart stores in multiple states, Dwayne Reed stores in Manhattan, Walgreens stores in Atlanta, and then finally sold the company to Rite Aid, Ten years later, in 2014, and um, you know, it was a very rewarding but challenging experience to kind of help to put retail-based clinics on the map, if you will. Uh, we, you know, we faced a lot of uh, initial skepticism from medical establishment, from payers, um, from regulators, and and even from consumers, you know, who you know didn't know that they could get high-quality healthcare in a grocery big box or drugstore, um, but ultimately, you know, we prevailed because of high levels of patient satisfaction, um, and I'm proud that, you know, at this point, retail-based clinics are a permanent part of the landscape. In 2017, after running Ready Clinic at Rite Aid for three years and also a population health management company they had acquired called yeah. Health Dialog, I joined FastMed as the CEO, and uh, we built it to... You know, one of the largest operators of urgent care clinics in the United States. We had 170 of them at our peak and recently completed the sale of them uh, about a month ago. So I'm the retired CEO of FastMed and um, and really more more recently have been focused on the publication of my book, um, which was published last week uh, under the Forbes imprint called Here Be Dragons and uh, created a website. and. Um, doing a newsletter and some blogs and podcasts really to, you know, really engage in the dialogue about how we can continue to try to make um, routine healthcare more accessible and affordable.
0: So, so let me ask you a couple different questions because I think for our audience, a couple of these things will be particularly of interest. And then we will talk for a moment more about the book as well. Well, first of all, congratulations on your career and your leadership. Talk about the urgent care evolution, we saw this really get going years ago went from about three thousand to twelve thousand urgent cares in the country over the course of several years. Now God knows how many there are today, you probably do know it, God and Webb probably does know. But 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 that had a huge impact on hospitals, health systems, doctors' offices. Also in your doctor's office that we can get your appointment next Thursday was all of a sudden oh we're gonna have sick hours to come in today because they had to respond to this. What is urgent care mental health care ecosystem? What does it mean to hospitals and health systems? That's a big part of our audience. Can you take a moment on that question?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, well, so Scott, I guess one thing is that to me, retail-based clinics and freestanding urgent care clinics, you know, fall under the same umbrella, if you will, of of retail medicine. And you know, the basic goal was to make you know routine, acute, episodic. And preventive care more accessible and affordable to patients. Um, and as you suggest, it you know, it, they have had an effect on the rest of the healthcare ecosystem um, because you know patients have responded and did respond to the convenience and affordability that we offered. Now, having said that, you know, over the course of both Ready Clinic and FastMed, we had joint ventures with or strategic partnerships with more than a dozen. Uh, major health systems because we realized that we needed to be part of the health, you know, local healthcare ecosystem because there were patients that we saw who had conditions that were outside of our limited scope of practice. Um, and so, you know, we always wanted to be part of the ecosystem, um, but felt like and feel like, you know, we provide unique convenience and accessible accessibility, you know, almost as if we were a portal into the, the larger healthcare system.
0: But I think that complimentary point, Webb, is so well taken. I remember not long ago taking my parents to a local urgent care here. In our area, we've got Northwestern Health System, the North Shore University Health System, both really great health systems that have lots of urgent cares. Now, on some days, they are so crowded and, and that it can be hard to get into. But on one such day, we took my mom in. And it was such a fascinating thing to see the complimentary way in which everybody worked. Because the person, I forget where we were at, North Shore, Northwestern, said, look, we're booked for the day and we close at this point, but not very far away, a mile away, is this urgent care. And they're taking people on. And that urgent care was a for-profit one. And it just reminded me that I think 10 years ago, we wouldn't have seen that type of cooperative type of thing where they felt comfortable looking at it as an alternative positive site, versus something that was negative for the health system. So I thought that was just absolutely fascinating, and partly how a lot of this ecosystem has grown. So talk about that. I mean, it seems that today competition but somewhat cooperative and not nearly as much as, oh, my God, we're just in a war for every patient we could be in more. Maybe there's a war for staff, but not as much for people as it was at one time. But and, and, and Does that resonate with you, or what is your sense of that?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's – I think you're – you're spot on, Scott. Um, you know, initially when I started Ready Clinic, there was tremendous resistance from the, you know, the medical establishment, if you will, because you know they felt I think that you know we we might take a lot of their patients away, and then there were questions about whether we could provide high quality care in a retail environment. And on the latter point. You know, the research showed pretty consistently that the quality of care we were providing within our limited scope of practice was comparable to, if not better in some respects, than was provided in alternative delivery outlets. But, you know, we, we always wanted to uh, collaborate, if you will, with other parts of the healthcare system uh, for the reason that I suggested before, which is we had a limited scope of practice and we were seeing patients that had conditions that were outside of that scope and we needed some place to refer them to. But initially, frankly, you know, large health systems, you know, didn't really want to play ball with us. And so we were kind of on our own for a while. But that's definitely changed. And, um, you know, we've had very productive partnerships with large health systems and value those partnerships. And, and, you know, I think we fit into an overall system um, where we're not only more convenient uh, for patients, but, you know, it's also frequently the lowest cost side of care. And, uh, you know, we're a perfect solution for people with, you know, relatively minor, you know, conditions. And, um, you know, that's gonna help the efficiency of the system as a whole.
0: It's, let me ask you a different question now. now, I'm a little bit in our private equity audience, but our health system always finds this interesting too, at least generally, private equity investment in healthcare. It, it seems like that periodically it's demonized by DC also, periodically, there's blow ups like the steward health system is a, is a major blow up right now. Lots of debt on a low margin business and some other collateral damage. But, but talk about, you know, people talk about private equity as though it's a demon or the villain. But it helps to clarify to people sort of that private equity, is a, it's, it's a financial source, it's not villain or not a villain. It depends on like anything else, who the people are. But talk a little bit about private equity and healthcare And any thoughts you have on that?
1: Yeah, well, look, I think I think private equity plays an important part in, um, in healthcare. I mean, clearly the system that we have, great as it is in, you know, taking care of particularly of people with, you know, highly complex medical conditions, it's not sustainable in its current form, and it needed to be disrupted and continues to need to be disrupted um, in order to make it more efficient and sustainable, and, you know, private equity is there to provide you know seed capital and growth capital um, and to help new ideas you know kind of get on the on the stage, if you will. And so I don't see private equity as being you know generally speaking a demon at all. I think it's an essential part of you know what we need to do or you know where the funding is going to come from. and to some degree, you know the financial expertise is going to come from to to continue to make our system more functional, more accessible, more affordable, and more efficient so that it doesn't just keep growing you know at, at a rate that's faster than the rate of inflation, which is not sustainable.
0: No, it, 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 it really is fascinating. You've worked with various different sponsors in private equity. Anybody that you'd like to give a shout-out to that was a pleasure to work with? And, and anything along those lines you'd be willing to do?
1: Well, look, I, I don't want to single any you know, any firm out, really all of the sponsors that I've worked with, you know, over the years have been incredibly supportive. Um, And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, people or private equity firms have different amounts of resources, uh, timeframes, risk tolerances, you know, and so forth. But um, in general, you know, I found it to be, you know, a pleasure to work with private equity firms Um, They provide, you know, not only financial support, but, you know, I think some valuable operational support in some cases as well. Um, They have resources available to them. Many firms now have operating partners who um, can, you know, help smaller companies get off the ground operationally as well as financially and grow operationally. Because, you know, a lot of smaller companies that are private equity funded, you know, don't have necessarily the management teams who have experience in scaling the business. And private equity can be very helpful there in many other ways. But also I would say, you know, Scott, that strategic investors have also played an important role in my career. And, um, you know, more recently, Blue Cross in North Carolina uh, has been a strategic investor in FastMed. They were a longtime strategic investor, actually, before I even joined the company. You know, they were terrific to work with. And you know, understood what we were doing and were very supportive of it and and provided financial support, but also, you know, other kinds of support as well.
0: No, thank you very, very much. And and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to tell us a little bit more about the book and where people could find the book and and, and so forth.
1: Sure. Um so the book's called Here Be Dragons and um You know, there's a story behind the title that uh, that you'll read in the book. But you know, basically, it goes back to the days, you know, when I was starting up Ready Clinic and you know had this crazy idea. And uh, you know, a lot of people told me I was crazy and that you know that it would never work. And uh, that was kind of a "here be dragons" moment. You know, I had to decide whether I wanted to keep plowing ahead or listen to you know all of the naysayers. Um, but it's, the book is really a story about the evolution of you know, my involvement in healthcare. I started out, actually, the first big thing I did was to start a cable TV network devoted to health called America's Health Network, uh, which was ultimately sold to Fox when we were in about 25 million households providing healthcare information to consumers. This was pre-internet, when, when consumers really couldn't get easy access to high-quality health information. We had Mayo Clinic as a content provider build a big studio at Universal Studios Florida. You know, and it was a very, you know, exciting venture. Um, And then what I noticed along the way was that while consumers were having a hard time getting access to health information, it was made easier, considerably easier by the Internet. But they were having a hard time getting access to routine care. And that's what gave me the idea of, hey, you know, maybe we can provide care in conveniently located retail outlets that are open seven days a week extended weekday hours, you're co-located with a pharmacy, so the patient doesn't have to make another trip. Um, And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. Um, So the book is about that. Um, It then sort of travels to my experience at FastMed in freestanding urgent care and the challenges of operating the business during the pandemic, you know, which was a very challenging time for all healthcare providers um, and particularly for frontline healthcare workers. And I have tremendous respect for them and sympathy for them in a lot of ways. I mean, they were working long hours, um, you know, long lines at our clinics before they even opened. A sort of cranky, frightened patients. Uh, our workers had to wear all this PPE, so it was very uncomfortable. Um, and uh, you know, frankly, you know, as everybody knows, a lot of healthcare workers, frontline healthcare workers, just got burned out and left the industry. And uh, you know, that's a significant issue that I think the healthcare industry, you know, has moving forward. And, you know, there's, there are all sorts of, you know, crazy stories along it, the way. It was, a, yeah, yeah. it was success, but it was a twisted path, let me put it that yeah, way.
0: Yeah, no, but I'm, I'm going to ask you about one thing. I had I, I, I authored a book about building businesses, and one of the tips I have in it is, is called Don't Listen to the Naysayers. You know, as is it, is it, is an entrepreneur – Take one moment in that concept. Anything you start, anything you do, there's going to be naysayers. And, and can you talk about that for one moment?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's absolutely true. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, in some cases, they have your best interests at heart. Uh, and in other cases, they're just trying to protect their territory. And, um, you know, we, we, we had some of, some of each. But I think what carried me through is, is I, had a, I had a vision for what I wanted to do, and I at least wanted to try it out. And so we opened a few clinics, you know, back in 2004, 2005, and, um, you know, we didn't know, you know, what kinds of retail outlets, you know, we would be successful in, or what locations would be successful, or, you know, a lot of of unknowns. We had no contracts with third-party payers, but the thing I could see almost immediately is that the patients liked it. You know they liked the idea of being able to get get in and out in fifteen or twenty minutes. Um, and that was what sustained me um and not not just me. I mean, I think we I had great teammates who uh, you know who were just as committed to to the mission as I was. And so you know it was what I saw in the marketplace, if you will, that you know how how it was working with our customers on the one hand. and the vision that I had and the mission that the company had to provide easier access to high quality, affordable healthcare. And that just, you know, as long as we hung on to that, we were able to sort of drive through all the skepticism.
0: Uh, uh, Fantastic. Again, Webb, what a pleasure visiting with you. Is the full name Webster original? What's the full name? Is it Webb like Web Hubble? Is it Webster? What's the full name?
1: (laughs) No, it's, it's Webster. Um, You know, most people call me Webb. And so I've, I've just shortened that over the years. Only a few people who knew me knew me way back in the day still call me Webster. But I have a website uh, called WebGoLincoln.com, you know, where uh, I'm doing some blogs and and um, a newsletter that I'm starting to push out. And then you know, also sort of collecting articles on the theme of increasing uh, healthcare affordability and accessibility you know, I hope will be, well, you know, will contribute to the dialogue of how we can continue to make progress with this great health system we have.
0: Fantastic. Webb, a pleasure to talk to you. I assume that the only people that call like you Webb should have known you for a very long time or people that are very <laughs> mad at you, but, but I assume well, we'll stick to Webb. I want to thank you for joining us. We'll release this on both the Becker's Healthcare and the Becker Private Equity Podcast. What a, what a fascinating career. Congratulations on the book. And, and what a great pleasure to visit with you.
1: Now, uh, Scott, pleasure is entirely mine, and uh, thanks for having me.